Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? This is quite a day, I got to tell you. First of all, he is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, today is the first service of Coastline Covenant Church. We are a new church being planted by Rolling Hills Covenant Church. And I just want to tell you, this is our first service, and we could not be more thrilled that you came out to join us and privileged to get to bring the gospel to you today. So thank you for coming. We're thrilled. You know, the pastoral team here at Coastline, we've been friends for a long time. I've known Garrick for 20 years. I've known Hunter since he was 13. Known Michael Barker here for five years, and we really are a family together. And that is one of the key visions behind Coastline Covenant. It is for us as believers to live as God's beloved family, inviting all to experience Jesus. Our hope today is as you come here on this great campus, that you feel like you are coming home to a family. That you feel like you are coming to a family reunion and not necessarily a church service, but a dinner table where we come and celebrate the incredible thing that God has done. But today is not about coastline. There's not one moment that I want you to think that today is about us or about this team or even about this new church. No, today is about celebrating the life of Jesus. And as Carrie so beautifully told us, it is a powerful story that is at times confusing to us because of the complexity of it, the idea about God sending his son down to us, taking on human flesh, and living here in this life and ultimately dying so that he could raise again. It is mysterious and it is powerful. And we stand today in the joyful proclamation of this ministry that Jesus is still alive and for a Christian, and in fact for anyone. This is the most important day of the year, and so we're gra- grateful to be able to celebrate together. And, and let's really be honest, this is a different Easter than last one. I mean, last Easter, I was preaching in an empty worship center. There was no one there. You were watching on Zoom, and we were doing our best to try to make life feel normal, but it was really anything but normal. Schools had already closed. Restaurants had closed. Businesses closed. Beaches closed, eventually even Mammoth Mountain closed. Elbow bumps replaced uh, handshakes and hugs. There became early hours at the stores for those of you who were early enough to, old enough to go so that you could pick up the toilet paper. We learned to clean our groceries before bringing them indoors. You know, uh, road rage kind of uh, went away because no one was driving anywhere because there was nowhere to go, but there was street rage. You know, if somebody didn't cross the street while you were walking, if somebody stood too close to you in line, we would explode in anger because we were going to give them the COVID. We lived in this constant tension and fear about what might happen. We watched John Krasinski's good news show on the internet because, frankly, we needed some good news. And in quarantine, we learned to live to die to the things that we loved so that we would not kill or be killed by those that we loved. And so we just gave up a lot of things. And what's great about this year is that today Easter does feel different. We're in a new tier. Many of you have the vaccine. Things are beginning to open up again, and it seems that life is almost normal, that we could almost get back to the life that we used to have and the life that we used to love. And friends, I got to tell you, there are so many things that I cannot wait to do again. Let's go to the Hollywood Bowl. I cannot wait to go to the Hollywood Bowl. I don't care who's performing. It could be one of those classical nights where no one shows up for, that people are trying to give the tickets away. I'll go see Justin Bieber. 
I'll go see Neil Diamond. I'll go see anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. Just let me hear live music again. Let's go to a Dodger game. We say, look, we could sit in left field now. There's no reason to be scared anymore. We went through COVID. Why would we have to worry about being stabbed? We literally lived in a time when the air was poison. We could go sit anywhere. It'll be great. Even if you're a Giants fan, come on. It's not going to be that bad. We, we could go on an airplane again. Let's travel. We should all go on a coastline field trip anywhere on an airplane. We could even go to one of the four corner states that nobody wants to visit. Colorado, Arizona, Utah, Arizona too, whichever one it is, we could go visit it and it doesn't matter how bad the vacation is because at least we're not home. At least we are out of our backyard. Students, you should go to prom and see a real human girl. Like, I know that texting was kind of how all of your relationships were mediated, Snapchat, but now go dance with someone. It'll be great. You'll have a wonderful time. It'll be a little weird. But you should totally go to prom this year. Let's go to Disneyland. I mean, we could even go on star tours. That would have felt like a gigantic flying coffin during COVID. But now we can go on star tours. It will be great. And let's go to church again. Let's come and worship and sing and enjoy being together because this feels so good, doesn't it? This feels absolutely incredible. Friends, summer 2021 is going to be the best summer ever in the words of High School Musical. It is going to be fantastic. I cannot wait to do all of these things. And I want to encourage you to enjoy it because there's going to be this brief season of euphoria and then reality is going to set in. I don't think that there's any chance that 2021 is going to feel like 2020. But I think there's a pretty good chance that 2021 could feel like 2019. Meaning that I don't think it's going to take long for life to slip back to feeling normal. Where suddenly cancer is going to strike again. Or one of your friends is going to get divorced and it's going to change your whole friend group. Or where suddenly you're going to deal with anxiety again or depression again. Where suddenly you're going to know what it feels like to have your plans and your hopes somehow just miss the mark. And you're no longer afraid necessarily of death coming from poison air. But nonetheless, there is a sense that life is just going to move and you're going to be back doing travel ball with your kids. And you're going to back be at club volleyball. And somehow this entire season is just going to evaporate on us and we're going to be back to normal. And here's the fear of that. I think every one of us has had some hope that this last year, 2020, would be a season of transformation, that we would come out of it and we would be profoundly different. But unless we learn to change the source of our hope, if we don't lift our hope a little bit higher than Disneyland and Dodger games and concerts, if we don't lift our hopes a little bit higher beyond that, then what it means is that 2020 won't be any, will not bring any transformation. It will have just been about hibernation. We will have just sat in our house. We will have just stayed indoors, and we will come out the same people that we were. Look, life is coming for us again. And ultimately, I cannot wait for the summer, but I don't want to put my hope in those small things. I want to put my hope in something larger. And where I want to encourage us today is that the best place for you and I to put our hope, given what we've come through, is not in vaccines. It is not in politicians. It is not in changing regulations. The best place to put our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because his story is actually your story. 
You just might not have known it. You know, Carrie did a fantastic job running us through the Jesus story. The disciples, they truly believed that Jesus was going to come and become king. And they believed that once he became king, that they would become princes. And they believed that once they became princes, well, then they were on their way to go take their nation back. They were going to defeat their enemies, and they were going to suddenly take over power. And when Jesus died, it shook them to the core. Peter, one of the disciples, when Jesus is being arrested, he pulls out his sword, and he begins swinging because he's unwilling to let that vision die of where he thought life was going to go, even when Jesus told him to stop. And when Jesus dies, Peter just goes back to fishing. Thomas had always imagined that he was a fighter and that he would be the one to stand beside Jesus. And yet when Jesus is arrested, Thomas just retreats. He just hides. He begins to doubt. And whenever the disciples get together, he is always noticeably missing because his, dream, his grief just causes him to pull inside. And Judas, he can't even handle what has happened to Jesus and his part in it, and he commits suicide. You see, the entire story there at the cross, it changes everybody's lives. It absolutely rattles their world. And one disciple named Mary, the way she handles her grief is just to go to the tomb again and again and again and anoint the body again and again and again until when she arrives on the third day, she finds that that stone is rolled away. And in that moment, she begins to understand that she is stepping into a different story now, one in which Jesus has risen from the dead. And that seems like something that is just too difficult for us to believe. I think it's very easy for us to somehow read into these people um, naivety that they could believe this. Can I just tell you, these are real people who would have thought about this the way that you and I did. They weren't expecting a resurrection. They were as shocked by it as anyone. And as a result of their shock, Jesus has to come alongside of them again and again and reassure them that he has indeed risen from the dead. He has to come to Mary and tell her, I'm here. It is I. And she thinks he's a gardener, but he says, Mary, I have risen. And to Peter, he meets him on the shore as he's out fishing again, and he causes him to catch this miraculous haul of catch to prove that he is real. To Thomas, he comes and allows him to put his fingers in the nail marks, and there where the spear went into his side. And Jesus continually comes alongside each person and tries to give them exactly what they need so that they could know that the resurrection is true. Jesus appears to people in towns and in the countryside, Jesus appears indoors and outdoors. He appears in morning and in evening. He appears by a hill and by a lake. He appears to men and to women. He appears to 500 and then he appears to individuals. He appears to people eating and walking and teaching and ultimately ascending because Jesus wanted to make sure that you and I today could have complete confidence that he truly did rise from the dead. He did all this because Jesus is in the business of helping us believe because he knows what it's like to doubt and to wonder. He asks us to place our hope fully in him. And as the disciples begin to believe, it changes everything for them. The most immediate impact of that is that their grief, it turns to joy. Their friend is given back to them. Suddenly, they know that they no longer have to weep any longer. And hope is returned because they know now that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And that's something that they would feared they'd been wrong about. I mean, once Jesus died, they thought, I gave up my whole life to follow him, and he wasn't who I thought. And when he rises, suddenly they know that it is true. But the long-term impact of it is something that they have to process over time. What does it mean 
When Jesus dies and is raised again to life, how does that change the very fabric of reality and the world that we know? In fact, they take 50 days to think about it. 50 days to contemplate it, to understand it. And it's ultimately when the Spirit comes that then they begin to give words to what the resurrection means. And in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter gives his very first sermon on what the resurrection of Jesus means. And he ties together Psalm 16, which was written by King David, with the resurrection story and shows exactly what it means. If you have your Bibles, would you open them up to Acts chapter 2? We're going to pick this up in 2, 24 to 28. Peter's going to begin here, and then he's going to begin quoting Psalm 16, which is David speaking. So if I mix these up at some point, you'll know why I'm mixing it up. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. This is how Peter interprets the meaning of the resurrection. Now, he says this in verse 25. He says, the very first thing that changes with the resurrection is this, is that our relationship with God changes instantly due to the resurrection. He says this, I saw the Lord always before me. What does he mean by that? What does it mean for God to be always before us? In a sense, when he says that God is always before us, he is saying that God is before all things. That he is the first. That he it was never created. And so regardless of what you've seen, experienced, or known, God comes before it. Before this earth, before this government, before this nation, before gravity, before light, before anything ever was, God existed and God has always, begin, be, always been. He has no beginning. And God is before you today. He's before your thoughts and even before your will. He is before any great thinker that God is the very first. He is before all things. And he is also before all things in terms of his character. That there is no one who is like him. That he always has first place. That he is holy and that he is good. He is kind and he is powerful and he is loving. And there is no one in the entire universe who is more loving, more kind, more powerful, or more holy. He is before all things in terms of his character. He is the ultimate. He understands exactly who we are and what we cannot do. And yet he has no ulterior motives in his love except simply to love us for who we are because that flows out of who he is. In fact, he is so before all things that it says that the very angels of heaven cover their eyes before his presence. That even though they stand before him at all times, they still cover their eyes because they know that he is that far above them that they cannot even look upon him because he is before all all things. This is what's fascinating in this text, though. Peter says, I saw the Lord, I'm sorry, this is David, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. How can he stand before him if no one can stand before him? How is it that 
David can come and look upon the Lord when even the very angels cover their eyes. I mean, he says it, I saw the Lord. No one gets to see the Lord. But here David says, I see him. I get a chance to see him. I can stand before him. And the reason why he can stand before him is because of the one who stands beside him. The reason why he can stand before him is because of the one who stands beside him. Look at this. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So where is the Lord? He says the Lord is before me and he says the Lord is beside me. Which one is he? He is speaking here in Trinitarian language. The Father is before me, but the Son, Jesus Christ, is beside me. And because Jesus Christ is beside me, I can now stand before him. I can now speak to him. I can now look upon him because of the one who stands beside me. The reason why this can suddenly happen is because at the cross, Jesus didn't just die, but he died for your sin and he died with your sin. Your sin was a grenade that was going off in your life. And it was one of those sorts of bombs that would go off again and again and again. If we're trying to look for a definition of sin, is every thought, every moment, any action that is opposite of the character of God, that is sin. We know it. We know when we sin. Our body triggers us with shame to cue us for when we are beginning to sin. And he says here that this sin that has always been before me, that was a, like a bomb that was about to go off in my life, Jesus disarmed it, and he did so with his own body. He cast himself upon the bomb, he grabbed the grenade and tucked it into himself, and he died with our sin, pulling it down into the grave with him so it could be forever removed from us. This is the promise, that we can now stand before God because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and then died with it, killing it. But then something miraculous happened. He rose, and because he rose, he left that sin back in the grave so that it could always be done, always be forgiven, and no longer exist anymore in a way that God counts or God considers. What had kept us from God was our sin. And what Jesus did at the cross was eliminate and forgive our sin. But his plan wasn't just simply to forgive us our sins. It wasn't simply to make us clean or new. His plan was then to bring us into a relationship with God that would make him not only his father, but our father as well. At the cross, Jesus begins an adoption process for you and I. As a father, desires to be with their children. That's how the Father desires to be with us. You know, if you go back into presidential archives, there are these incredible pictures of John F. Kennedy with his son, John Jr., there in the Oval Office. Now, the Resolute Desk, which is where the president sits, there is a door that opens up by the feet. And there's these fantastic pictures of John F. Kennedy working, and little John, they're sitting at his feet with the door open, sitting there while his father works. Think about the privilege that that was. Any other person who desires to come and meet the president must go through, through layers of security, process, ritual. They must be honorable as they stand before him. They must do everything the right way. But the son, John, what does he do? He walks right in and climbs up underneath the desk. You see, any other person must approach the father with fear and trembling, trying to take into account their own sin and how they could ever be right, and we could never be done with it, so we could never come before God. But because of the cross, you and I are invited to approach him, yes, as God, but also as father, and to come and crawl into his lap and to begin this relationship with him. And this 
profoundly changes everything. It is because of this that the angels must close their eyes and yet we look on him in his glory. It is because we have been adopted by him and we have been brought into his family. Because of this, he says it changes how he sees life. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, Jesus Christ, creating a gap between me and the Father, I will not be shaken. He says, I no longer have to fear my circumstances, whatever may come, he is beside me. He says, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. He says, I don't have to fear. Inside I'm overflowing with joy and I cannot help but speak it out because I want to give something back to God. That this new relationship with the Father changes everything. And not only does it change everything for him today, it changes everything about his future. Look at verse 26 and 27. My body... It's also going to rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. I'm going to work through this passage backwards a little bit. Again, he is quoting Psalm 16. This is David who is speaking and David understood exactly what the consequences of death meant. David has seen the price of death and sin as close as anyone. His life had constantly been threatened by people who were looking to kill him. He lived almost a decade on the run, hiding in caves from those who wanted to assassinate him. He knew well what it was like to fear life. He lost three children that we know of, that are told of in the scripture, who died, both infant children and adult children. He had an unloving marriage. He had a life-threatening illness. He saw how dark his own heart could be when he entered into an affair with a married woman and then used violence to get himself out of it. He engaged in warfare, both giving death and watching it everywhere around him. If there's anybody who knew what physical death meant and what emotional death meant and what spiritual death meant, it is David. He understood and saw its touch everywhere in his life. And he also understood as long as death exists, then it will slowly quench any fluttering flame of hope that you and I could ever have. You know, the Daily Breeze did an article here about a week ago talking about the spike and therapeutic counseling that is happening now compared to in the quarantine. People kind of went into survival mode in the quarantine. They just buckled down. They were afraid. They pushed through. But now as the things are beginning to open up, they're seeing that counselors are overwhelmed with people who are now processing what they have seen. And they can't come to terms with it because they suddenly had to face their own mortality and that at any moment they could die. You and I spend our lives trying to deny death, but in 2020, death would not be denied. Suddenly, we all had to reconcile the fact that death could happen to us, would happen to us on its terms, we would not get to choose the day or the means that it could happen to any one of us. And as a result, it has caused a crisis in the hearts of people to face anything. It squashes hope. As long as death is going to reign, it is going to crush our days. It is going to take whatever hope we can get and extinguish it shortly. So if we're going to talk about real hope, a hope that lives beyond summertime and beyond Disneyland, it's going to have to be a hope that can move through death. And that's what David says about here, that God created this hope. What he says is that you're not going to let your Holy One see decay. That there is one who will not die. There is one who will defeat death. And he will do so because he is sinless and perfect. You see, death has come because sin has come. 
And yet Jesus was born of a virgin and of the Spirit. He is one who has, does not have the fingerprints of sin on him. He is one who is not coming from the line of Adam where he has fallen himself. And so he is sinless. And so he is perfect. And so death has no right to him and it cannot claim him. And so even though he does die, his path goes right through death, out through the empty tomb. That there is one who will not see decay. And this is the hope that our hope is not in all of the things of this world, but in Jesus Christ, who has gone through death, the very thing that we fear, and has come out the other side. And since we are adopted into his family, that is our future as well. Look, families have similar traits. You got your mom's nose, you got your dad's eyes, you got grandma's smile. This is just simply how it is in any sort of family. And once we are brought into God's family, once we are adopted by him at the cross through faith, it is in that moment where the resurrection of Jesus becomes ours as well. That it is given to us because we are in his family. And so his life becomes our life. His holiness becomes our holiness. His resurrection will become our resurrection. And we are able to now suddenly put our hope in something more permanent. But it comes in stages. You and I will still suffer. You and I will still sin. Cancer will still happen. Our hearts will still break. But we know now that that is not the end of the story because the resurrection of our hearts has begun right now. The resurrection of our spirits has happened already. And we know that there is a day that is going to come when we will die and yet we will go to be in the presence of the Lord. But that is not how the story ends where somehow we all end up in the clouds is that God's going to continue to redeem and resurrect things because he's going to resurrect this broken earth and he's going to resurrect us as well so that every enemy is defeated that would ever separate us from God. You know, there is a very familiar phrase that exists in graveyards, rest in peace. And the hope there, when that is written on any sort of tombstone, is that now finally your labor is over. That now finally your tough days are done. And now you are finally going to rest. But that is not what this scripture says. He says this in uh, verse 26. My body, he doesn't say it's going to rest in peace. He says my body is going to rest in hope. He says, ultimately, when I die, I die with this full hope knowing that I'm going to raise, that I'm going to be in the presence of God, and exactly what has happened for Jesus, it will happen for me as well. And if we know that we can now stand in the presence of God as his beloved children, and if death has been removed, we now have this completely unshakable hope. He says this in verse 28, you have made known to me the path of life, and you're going to fill me with joy in your presence. Carrie said it beautifully. The hope that we have now, it is not the flimsy hope of I hope I can get tickets to the Dodgers or I hope that my kids go back to school or I hope that I could find new work. When we talk about that kind of hope, it's a coin flip. We talk about it as it is the most fragile sort of hope that maybe luck and maybe circumstances will somehow bend their way in a way that we could suddenly then get what we want. This hope that he talks about is one that is certain because of the resurrection, you are always forgiven. You don't have to hope to be forgiven. You are always forgiven because of what God has done. Because of the resurrection, your spirit is forever alive. You don't have to somehow hope that that kind of joy is going to come to you again. You are always alive. Because of the resurrection, your future is always secure. 
It is never going away from you. And because of the resurrection, you are forever God's child. These are not only things that we hope for, but they are grounded in reality because since God has done it, there is nobody who can undo it. Yeah, this world's really hard still. It's still really hard. We're still going to experience tragedies illness and pain, but in a sense, it means less because now I at least understand why it's happening. That's always our fear. Whenever something terrible happens, we always want to ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? The answer is in the text. The reason why it's happening is because this world is so broken. That is why it is happening. I understand it. But the believer has been touched by nail pierced hands of grace that know that whatever is going to happen to us, God is going to walk us through it, and it is not in this world, but our hope is in the risen Christ and that we will raise as well. And so regardless of what happened to us, our hope is secure because our future is secure because God's love is secure for us, and that is the love that you can know today. That is the love that we need to cling to because ultimately what God has done for us is always greater than what anybody else can do to us. What God has done is greater than what anybody can do to us. And so if I know that death is defeated, it allows me to live with this freedom and this bulletproof hope. The hope that I want for you is to know that there is indeed a God who loves you and loves you enough to give up his own son for you, who literally sprinted to the cross. It was always a plan. It was not a random turn of events who went to the cross because he knew that at the cross, he began the process of bringing you home to the Father, to giving you true and real hope. Look, I hope we have an incredible 2021. Go on vacation with your family and enjoy it. Cheer on the Dodgers. They're going to be the greatest team of all times. Go to Disneyland and even go on It's a Small World. It's going to be better now because it's been a year. You can go and do all of these things, and I hope they're deeply meaningful to you. But I also want to ask you to lift your eyes a little higher, to consider what this year is going to be about and what you want from it, because ultimately it is going to let you down. It is not going to be all that you want. And yet, if we lift our eyes a little bit higher to the son who raised from death to life again, there will come into our lives this new hope, this new joy that cannot be quenched. We will begin to hope again, but with a hope that is bulletproof from whatever life might throw at it. Today, I want to encourage you to enter into an exchange, to exchange your sin for his life, to exchange your fear of death for his resurrection, and to exchange your small hope for one that is rooted in him that brings everlasting joy. Let me pray for us. God, what a joyful day. And Lord, we are in joy because of what you were doing, that you were in the process of making all things new. We take joy in coastline and see our friends and family back together again. But God, above these things, we take joy that you have made a way for us to stand before you. And Lord, you are never going to let anybody take that away from us. God, I pray for the person who knew you in the past and who drifted away from you. And somehow they ended up here today and they didn't think they were going to be back at church this year. But they are because of last year. And they're hearing this familiar story again. 
God, would you help them to place their hope in you? God, I pray for every Christian who's been profoundly discouraged by the age and the time that we live in, who looks at what's happening in our country or in our world or in our state, and they're profoundly discouraged and worried. And God, what I want to ask that you'd help them put their hope not here on this plane, but above in you, that you would give us an unshakable hope so that we could live with a profound joy that people look at and marvel at, not a paralyzing fear. And for the person who came today where they don't do church, they don't know how they ended up here. But God, it wasn't that bad. They kind of liked it. But you help them to know, God, that it is not me that they're hearing. It is not good worship and it is not a chance to be back outdoors with people. It's the very words of hope and life that you're giving. Would you help them to exchange their small hope for something greater? We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. He's risen.